Godfrey's Gospel according to Michael Godfrey. Expect booster jabs to become a fact of life. It's a bit like Groundhog Day. You know the film where every day starts the same as the previous one for the main character played by Bill Murray? But in this instance, it's the endless stream of criticism that's being heaped on the HSE concerning the slow rollout and confusing appointment schedule of the booster vaccine programme. Last April and May, all we heard was criticism of the slow rollout of the vaccine programme. We couldn't wait to get the stuff into our arms, most of us that is, so that life could get back to some kind of normal. We were impatient, and some politicians were quick to jump on the bandwagon and criticise. But when the kinks were ironed out, that programme has proved to be highly successful, with 93% of the population inoculated from coronavirus. I say that because there is no such thing as a perfect cake, and you will always have those who believe they are right and the rest of us are wrong. They want more evidence or don't believe in the evidence being presented in the first instance. Then you have others who are never satisfied, who will always find fault no matter what is done. And unless it is their idea of perfect, everything is still wrong. There was much talk last week about the vaccination centres around Dublin being booked solid, long queues and people being turned away. When will our commentators learn that there is life beyond the red cow? For instance, there is a vaccination centre in Carlow Town, and while there were queues, the HSE was quietly going about its business. Like many people, I was critical of the service a couple of weeks ago when someone making the bookings did not seem to know the difference between Cavan and Carlow. But last Friday I called to the centre in mid-afternoon and no one was complaining. In fact, one woman had just turned up without an appointment to see if there was any chance she could receive her booster shot. The person working at the reception area took her details and within a few minutes that walk-in was being vaccinated. No fuss. And, more importantly, no delay for anyone else. People were arriving on time and being vaccinated within minutes of their appointed slot. I asked about that and was told that initially the centre had five vaccination booths, but in the last few weeks that had been doubled and additional staff had been deployed to ensure the efficient running of the centre. There was no big press conference to announce this. The HSE just quietly got on with gearing up as best it could to accommodate people as quickly as possible. I'm sure the same applies at other centres around the country. Let's be honest, no one thought for one minute that less than a month after restrictions were lifted, we would find ourselves in the grip of the pandemic yet again. But we must remember that since March 2020, we have been on a steep learning curve regarding COVID-19. It's very easy to be critical of a system when we are all anxious to get on with our lives, but sometimes we may be asking too much just because it might be inconvenient to go for a vaccine at a specific time. We can all pat ourselves on the back for the great job that was done regarding the initial vaccine programme. If we give it a little time, I'm sure the same will be said for the booster programme. But on a note of caution, back in May, when I received my first vaccine, I wrote about meeting one of the vaccinators who warned that this was just the beginning and it would run for a long time to come. That person was subsequently proved correct. Unfortunately, that same person warned me on Friday last to get used to the idea, and don't be too surprised if there's a booster booster sometime next year.
Time to Think with Father Paddy Byrne. O Holy Night continues to inspire hope. The gun should have never been left lying around in the first place. Making the carelessness even worse was that it was loaded. With two unsupervised eight-year-old boys messing with her, something catastrophic was bound to happen. It did. Young Brignon squeezed the trigger. There was a loud, sharp crack, a whiff of gun smoke, a gush of blood, and an eruption of high, hard, screechy screaming. Placide Capo, a son of winemakers and barrel makers, was suddenly and excruciatingly on his way to becoming permanently one-handed. The bullet destroyed his right hand, which had to be amputated. That put paid to any idea that when he grew up, he would become a cooper like his dad. Jacques Brignon, father of the boy who accidentally shot Placide, was distraught. In an attempt to make amends, he offered the Capo family financial support for the education of their amputee son. The handgun incident happened in 1816 in the small town of Roquemore, about seven and a half miles north of Avignon, in the south of France. Placide was accepted by the Collège Royal d'Avignon. There, at the age of 17, he won first prize in drawing. Subsequently, he studied literature in Nîmes, and in 1831 obtained a law degree in Paris. But he never practised law. Instead, in Roquemore, he became a wine merchant whose main hobby was writing verse. A competent enough poet, he never achieved widespread literary success or fame, though he was well known enough locally to get himself elected mayor of the town. Born and brought up a Catholic, he had drifted away from religion, only rarely attended Mass, and in conversations with people, directed a lot of biting criticism at the Catholic clergy in general. The parish priest of Roquemore was close to giving up on him, especially when Capo began to publicly espouse socialism. However, in what proved to be a last throw of the dice in attempting to draw him back into the bosom of Mother Church, in 1847 the priest asked him to write a Christmas poem for Midnight Mass on Christmas Eve. The priest also asked him to take it to one of France's most famous and successful composers, Adolphe Adam, for a musical setting. Capo felt both puzzled and flattered, and told the priest he would do his best to come up with something suitable. For reference, he turned to Luke's Gospel about the birth of Christ, reasoning that it would give him an authoritative framework on which he might base his poem. Then, on the 3rd of December that year, during a long, bumpy and swaying coach journey from Roquemore to Paris, he began the task of putting words on paper. It was on the section between the cities of Macon and Dijon that he did the bulk of the work. By the time the coach trundled into Paris, he had completed it. He gave it the title Cantique de Noël, the Song of Christmas. What he had done was to imagine what it would have been like to witness the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. When he read and re-read what he had written, he felt deeply moved by the words. Now he had to get the poem to Adolf Adam, whose theatrical successes included the ballets Faust, Giselle and La Fille de Danube. Adam had been commissioned to compose orchestral works and ballets that were performed in faraway St. Petersburg, and in Berlin and London. He was at the height of his fame. Into his hands now came Capo's poem, 
and given its subject matter and the beautiful style of writing, it presented him with a challenge unlike any he had been presented with before. He spent three weeks perfecting his composition and ended up with what is frequently called a heartbreakingly beautiful piece of music. Capo took the song back to Rockamore and handed it over to the parish priest, who was overcome with awe and gratitude. He contacted a Parisian opera singer who lived locally, and at midnight mass on Christmas Eve, she gave the first public performance of the carol that would become known as O Holy Night, and would be, and is, sung tearfully and with reverence all over the world. The congregation at that midnight mass loved the carol, and within a short time, it won the hearts and approval of people all over France. The Catholic Church in France originally endorsed its use in Christmas ceremonies, and then something strange happened. The church authorities denounced the carol. Placide Capo had denounced the Catholic Church and joined the socialist movement, and Adolf Adam was found to have had Jewish ancestry. The reasons given by the church authorities for banning Cantique de Noël were its lack of musical taste and total absence of the spirit of religion. But the common people disregarded the denunciation. They wouldn't let the song die. Cantique de Noël continued to be sung at Christmas ceremonies all over France. An extraordinary happening during the 1870-71 Franco-Prussian War was allegedly the reason why the Catholic Church authorities received the song back into religious ceremonies. During a lull in battle, a French soldier jumped out of his trench, stood in full view and sang Cantique de Noël. Not one shot was fired at him. The Germans were so moved that one of their soldiers then stood up and sang one of Martin Luther's hymns. Nobody fired a shot at him either. It resulted in the armies of both sides honouring a 24-hour Christmas truce. The English words of O Holy Night were written by an American named John Sullivan Dwight, who introduced the song to that country. And on Christmas Eve 1906, O Holy Night became the first song ever broadcast over the radio when Reginald Fazenden played it while experimenting with a microphone and the telegraph. O Holy Night continues to inspire hope and comfort, blessings we all need in abundance this Christmas.